From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up last night in a speech that lasted over an hour, President Biden stood before a sparsely filled House chamber and spoke to the nation. hundred days since I took the oath of office and lifted my hand off our family Bible and inherited a nation, we all did, that was in crisis. The worst pandemic in a century. The worst economic crisis since the Great Depression. The worst attack on our democracy since the Civil War. Now, after just 100 days, I can report to the nation, America is on the move again. President called upon Congress to pass his American jobs plan and then presented his American families plan that together will cost over $4 trillion. Then he asked the rhetorical question. He asked, how will? How do we pay for my jobs and family plan? will we pay for it and what impact will it have on the national economy and America's families? We'll talk about it with Texas Congressman Michael Burgess, a member of the House Budget Committee. President Biden also talked about getting tough with China and with Russia, but the talk doesn't necessarily match the policy walk of his administration during their first 100 days. Wisconsin Senator Ron Johnson, a member of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, is here. On the domestic front, I also hope Congress will get to my desk the Equality Act to protect LGBTQ Americans. For all transgender Americans watching at home, especially young people, you're so brave. I want you to know your president has your back. We'll talk about his far-left agenda here at home with Missouri Senator Roy Blunt. And finally, what's the greatest threat facing America, according to Joe Biden? And we won't ignore what our intelligence agencies have determined to be the most lethal terrorist threat to the homeland today. White supremacy is terrorism. We're not going to ignore that either. My fellow Americans, look, we have to come together to heal the soul of this nation. Need I say, not everyone agrees with his assessment. Our own Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin joins me in studio for that conversation. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on the free speech platform of Gab, it's at Tony underscore Perkins. And let me remind you, at the uh, the website, TonyPerkins.com, uh, you can follow a link over to the first 100 days of the Biden administration and what they have been up to. All right. In his uh, first speech to a joint session of Congress last night, President Biden spent much of his talking time talking about money and taxes, perhaps trying to convince American people that his two point five trillion dollar American jobs plan and his newly introduced one point eight trillion dollar American families plan are worth plunging the nation into greater debt and moving us closer towards socialism. President also took full credit for the distribution of the COVID-19 vaccines, making it sound like the previous administration had done very little, while his administration exceeded all expectations. But now I noticed, you may have seen this too, I noticed a pattern throughout the speech, a not so subtle reference to jobs and jobs, job creation. In fact, 
46 times in the speech, he mentioned jobs. Like a deceptively wrapped white elephant gift, the president wrapped his socialist policy ideas in the promise of creating millions of jobs. Listen to this. And the process will create thousands and thousands of good-paying jobs. The American Jobs Plan will help millions of people get back to their jobs and back to their careers. The American Jobs Plan is going to create millions of good-paying jobs, jobs Americans can raise a family on. And it raises revenue to pay for the plans I propose and will create millions of jobs that will grow the economy. What I'm proposing will help create millions of jobs and generate historic economic growth. The consensus is if we act to save the planet, we can create millions of jobs. (laughs) So his government programs are going to create millions and millions and millions and millions of new jobs. Now, If I were keeping count last night, it sounds like we'll have more jobs than we have people. But then again, to pay for all of these programs, we'll all need to be working two or three jobs. So maybe we need millions and millions and millions of new jobs. Uh, the, The president touched on so many issues last night uh, when it comes to the economic front, Uh, the the aspect of uh, the the jobs and taking credit for really a strong economy from the previous administration. Listen to this uh, clip number one, please. And in the process, while this is all going on, the economy created more than 1,300,000 new jobs in 100 days. More jobs than first... More jobs in the first 100 days than any president on record. The International Monetary Fund The International Monetary Fund is now estimating our economy will grow at a rate of more than 6% this year. So how are we going to do this? Well, the president said he's going to only raise taxes on those who are making over $400,000 a year because they, they need to pay their fair share. Now, uh, I want you to listen to more to what he has, had to say. Uh, clip 5B, please. I believe what I propose is fair, fiscally responsible. And it raises revenue to pay for the plans I propose and will create millions of jobs that will grow the economy and enhance our financial standing in the country. When you hear someone say they don't want to raise taxes on the wealthiest 1% or corporate America, ask them whose taxes you want to raise. Instead, who's they going to cut? Look, a big tax cut of 2017. Remember, it was supposed to pay for itself. That was how it was sold. And generate vast economic growth. Instead, it added $2 trillion to the deficit. All right. So the Trump tax cuts, which spurred economic growth, created $2 trillion in terms of a deficit stalled the economy, according to the president, but his taxes 
and government programs are going to create millions of jobs. Is that the case? Well, joining me now to talk about this, Texas Congressman Michael Burgess, who is a member of the House Budget Committee. Congressman, welcome back to the program. Good afternoon, Tony. Thanks for having me back on. So the tax cuts of 2017, they hurt the economy? Well, actually, they returned more money to the to the federal treasury uh, than the year before. And, and people forget that. But, you know, one of the big things, remember how we used to hear about corporate inversions all the time? Big companies taking their, their profits and their jobs overseas. That doesn't happen anymore. It didn't, hasn't happened since the tax cuts. So I guess President Biden wants to go back to those days when, when big corporations would outsource their, their profits and their, and their jobs to other countries. He doesn't want them to happen in America. You know, I can remember when Democrats used to care about the middle class, but doesn't seem like it's that way anymore, does it? I mean, last night, I mentioned this a few moments ago, but every socialistic plan that he's pushing, he wrapped it in, well, this is going to create thousands. This is going to create millions of jobs. I, I mean, I, there's nothing in history that suggests that government programs will create sustainable jobs and grow the economy. No, but we know what will, and certainly the deregulation, uh, reduced tax environment that the previous administration provided until the pandemic hit uh, had been an absolute windfall for job production and some of the lowest rates of unemployment that had ever been seen, regardless of the demographic group you wanted to you wanted to point out. Um, I do remember President Trump's State of the Union address from February of, of last year. Uh, the economy was uh, certainly robust. Uh, the job creation had been significant. Energy independence spelled uh, the opening of a new era for uh, America's relations in the world. It was truly the dawning of the golden age. Now, unfortunately, the virus unleashed by Chinese communists has, uh, had, did its, did, did the number on the last year, but all of the principles, all of the fundamentals are in place for the economy to rebound. And the thing that worries me now is we're pumping so much federal money on top of an economy that's sitting on go that, uh, the likelihood is the end result is going to be significant inflation, which will yeah. hurt who? Not the people at the upper income levels. It will yeah. hurt the people at the lower income levels. Right. I, I remember I was young, uh, but I remember the conversations my mom and dad had in the 70s under Jimmy Carter and the hyperinflation we had uh, back then, or the, the high inflation. Look, look, I don't know if you were in the chamber last night because Nancy Pelosi limited to 200. By the way, I think uh, that picture uh, portrayed weakness uh, as a nation to have a chamber of the, of the, of the, the greatest legislative body in the world, in my view, um, to be sparsely populated sent the wrong message to the world that we're hiding from this virus. Uh, it, it, I don't know what they were trying to accomplish, but what it, what I think it accomplished was communicating to the world weakness. Um, but uh, again, I don't, I guess you were not in the chamber. You were not one of the, I don't want to say lucky or unlucky ones. I'm not sure how you'd look at it, but your, what, what were your thoughts on the speech? Well, well, first off, I've been very outspoken about this. Uh, members of Congress, Nancy Pelosi, made the the vaccine available to us as one of the first groups in the country in December because of the continuity of government. It was so important that uh, we get in line in, in front of everyone else. So uh, received the vaccine and 
Have we gotten back to normal as a governing body? No. The House of Representatives is still shut down. Uh, as you could see last night, we're still prevented from actually gathering in the chamber. So a lot of people right now are saying it's too bad that some people are hesitant about taking the vaccine. Well, for goodness sakes, we take the vaccine and then we continue to hide like it hasn't done us any good. Right. We should have been up front last night. It should have been obvious to anyone uh, uh, observing that event that, hey, Congress is back. Uh, the vaccines worked. Trump gave us a viable vaccine. Uh, we've taken it. We're able to gather. We're able to get back to normal. The country can be right behind us. Instead of leaving, uh, I, we, uh, we hid. I agree 100%. I mean, that's the old uh, Barack Obama lead from behind uh, approach to uh, to governing. I, I mean, I, I again, I think it sent a horrible message to the world that we're, as you pointed out, the members have gotten the vaccine, but they're still uh, kind of in hiding, fearful yeah. as vaccine. But I, I think there's something more than this uh, behind this, uh, Congressman Burgess. I, I think this is about democratic control of our government and restraining the people's representation is what I think this is about. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, we're up against a break. We're going to have to cut it off at that. But I, uh, I thank you for joining us. Always great to talk with you. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Thank you. Congressman Michael Burgess of uh, Texas having such a great conversation. I ran all the way up to the uh, to the break there. All right. When we come back, we're going to be joined by a senator from Wisconsin. Senator Johnson is going to be joining us to talk about the foreign policy topics that came up in last night's speech. The president talking tough with China and Russia, but... What have we seen in the first 100 days? The talk isn't necessarily matching the walk. We're going to talk about it next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. A lot more to come. What is Roe versus Wade and what did it do? The Supreme Court's 1973 decision ruled that abortion is protected under the U.S. Constitution striking down many state abortion restrictions and severely limiting the extent to which states could write their own abortion laws. The Supreme Court's limitations on states to legislate abortion restrictions depends on the trimester of a pregnancy. For instance, Roe disallows states from restricting abortions in the first trimester, but allows some restrictions on abortions in the third trimester. What Roe doesn't do is require states to have any restrictions. Abortion through all nine months of pregnancy is the default, unless Congress or the individual states pass laws restricting it. That leaves a lot of room for unrestricted abortions. For a full explanation of how Roe v. Wade liberalized abortion laws, go to frc.org explainer. That's frc.org explainer. After the recent wave of media censorship, are you struggling to find a conservative, relevant, and Christian platform where you can find out what's really going on? Here at Family Research Council, we believe that Americans have a right to exercise their freedom of speech and share their stories with the world. If you're ready to hear the facts that the left doesn't want you to know about, then head over to frcblog.com to check out our latest blog posts. We cover a wide range of issues you and your family care about, all written by our policy, government affairs, and biblical worldview experts. We discuss topics that other media platforms won't, like changes in pro-life policy, current events that affect Christians internationally, sexuality from a biblical perspective, and insights into the bigger picture of the shift in American culture. To stay up to date on current news related to faith, 
family, and freedom, visit frcblog.com. That's frcblog.com. Would you like to spend more time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible with their Stand on the Word Bible Reading Plan. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading with an intentional focus of diving deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues. By studying the Bible, we can see the grandeur of God unfold throughout the past. This reading plan takes you through the Bible as events happen in history. Laying out the scripture every day in an engaging manner, it is key to helping us stay grounded in God's truth. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. Start reading today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org Bible. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. And again, you uh, can go to the website. We've got some resources there for you, including the uh, first 100 days of the Biden administration. What have they done? We've been tracking the Biden administration. It's right there at the website. All right, we're looking right now at this speech delivered last night by the president to a uh, sparsely populated joint session of Congress. And I'll say it again. I thought it looked horrible, weak for America to be, you know, the president. If I were him, I, I, w- I would probably have fired my staff and uh, dressed down Nancy Pelosi for even, you know, for what she did in restricting the members from coming to the chamber. Uh, I, again, I think it just pro- projected weakness. Of course, the president was trying to say uh, he's strong internationally. Uh, in fact, this is what he had to say when it came to the foreign policy issues of his conversation with the Chinese president. I also told President Xi that we'll maintain a strong military presence in the Indo-Pacific, just as we do for NATO and Europe, not to start a conflict, but to prevent one. I told them what I said to many world leaders, that America will not back away from our commitments, our commitment to human rights and fundamental freedoms and to our alliances. And I pointed out to him, no responsible American president could remain silent when basic human rights are being so blatantly violated. An American president, president has to represent the essence of what our country stands for. Well, does that tough talk match the policy walk of the administration in its first 100 days? Joining me now to talk about this, U.S. Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin. Senator, welcome to the program. Well, Tony, hope you're doing well. I I am doing well. Um, Were you one of the ones that made it into the chamber last night? Uh, I was not. uh, I I did have a seat, but I thought there might be others that uh, would want to attend the the, chamber. a speech more than I did, so I, I gave up my seat. Probably not a hard choice to make. Um, when you listen to the president on his tough talk about China, and he went on to talk about Russia, 
Is that the same type of policies they've been pursuing in their first 100 days? I don't think so. When I hear that tough talk, I think of the Obama administration always threatening serious consequences, drawing red lines and allowing people to cross them without any consequences. So, again, you know, it's, it's all talk, just like his inauguration speech is going to be about you know, unifying this country and healing this nation. He's doing the exact opposite. But uh, when you talk about standing up for human rights, uh, you know, it, it's pretty much a bipartisan consensus, not 100 percent consensus that just withdrawing from Afghanistan, um, the all of the progress we have made with with girls and women in Afghanistan, I, I think most people are predicting a brutal catastrophe. And, you know, how, how are you going to stand by your values from that standpoint? Now, I, I understand nobody likes forever wars, but at the same time, we have a pretty small contingent. And if we could maintain a contingent so we could try and keep the Afghan security forces together and effective and the Taliban at bay, uh, I think that might be worth that commitment because, again, I, I, I just so am afraid of the catastrophe that we're going to see if we completely bug out of uh, our, uh, Afghanistan like we saw a catastrophe when we bugged out of Iraq. Right. And, and you're not alone in that. I mean, we're talking about about 2,500 troops, most of those in the role of training and consulting with the Afghan forces that are actually on the ground doing the uh, the, the, the fighting. Now, we do have some special forces over there. But you're right. It's a, it's a small um, price uh, to to pay in terms of what it's costing us monetarily to keep that presence there and keep them from coming over here and having us to fight terrorism on our own soil. And part of the problem, the Taliban have always said, you've got the watches, we have the time. And for three administrations now, we've signaled to them that events are going to leave and so that their evaluation was, was pretty accurate as opposed to making the commitment and saying, no, we're, we're going to be here, we're going to be steadfast, we have troops all over the world for decades. Uh, this is important to us because we do want to see the progress made uh, in Afghanistan. Again, it's, it's, it's slow, it's halting progress, there's no doubt about it, but when you take a look at the, the circumstances for, for women in Afghanistan, what was now versus what was under the Taliban, it's pretty significant progress, and again, it's, just be, it's going to be heartbreaking to see that all go away. Uh, Senator, I want to play a clip of what the president had to say about uh, what's happening at the southern border and get your thoughts on that. Uh, pray, play uh, clip 14, please. We have to also have to get at the root problem of why people are fleeing, particularly the, to our southern border from Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador. The violence, the corruption, the gangs, the political instability, hunger, hurricanes, earthquakes, natural disasters. When I was president, my president, when I was vice president, the president asked me to focus on providing help needed to address the root causes of migration. And it helped keep people in their own countries instead of being forced to leave. The plan was working, but the last administration decided it was not worth it. I'm restoring the program and asked Vice President Harris to lead our diplomatic effort to take care of this. I have absolute confidence to get the job done. So the program was working until... The Trump administration came in and actually shut the the, the crossings over uh, the border down. Uh, no, I, nothing, I don't I don't get it. Nothing could be further from the truth. So what he's describing there is the push factor, and there's there's no doubt about it. If, if you lived in Central America and you were 
threatened by the gangs and, and the, the drug cartels. Uh, you, everybody wants to come to America. Okay. And a lot of people want to come to America, but they're misdiagnosing the problem. The, the root cause of the push factors is America's insatiable demand for drugs. But as long as we have that demand for drugs, there will be a supply and there will be drug cartels and human traffickers, the most evil people on the planet. But the price of the border right now is Biden administration made. President Trump had solved the flow of unaccompanied children and families coming in and completely exploiting our completely broken asylum laws. And they were warned. They asked, well, what can we yeah. do to prevent a, you know, a border crisis? And CBP told them, well, keep in place the, the policies that are working, the return to Mexico, the agreements we have with Mexico and Central America, because President Trump really, after the 2018-2019 surge, put these policies in place, and well before COVID, that flow had been pretty well stopped. And hey, it, was, it was almost like a ghost town. I, I was down there a couple of times. It was like a ghost town. Senator, we're out of time, up against a break. I want to thank you for joining us. As always, great to talk to you. Where do you get your news? Do you have confidence you're getting the full truth? If you want to stay up to date on conservative news and are looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged, then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent radio programs, social media posts, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. Stay informed with a trusted source. Again, search Stand Firm to download the Stand Firm app. As the political and cultural landscape of our nation has shifted in a concerning direction, it is so important for Christians to be equipped with biblical answers for the difficult questions of our time. That is why Family Research Council created our Biblical Worldview series. With the political left changing definitions to favor their narrative and to push their agenda, at times it can be hard to decipher what is true. That is why we must hold to the truth of the Bible, which stands the test of time. It holds the truth that does not change. Become equipped to stand firm in the face of cultural and political storms with FRC's Biblical Worldview series. This series dives deep into what the Bible says about some of the most crucial issues of our day. You'll learn what the Bible teaches on abortion, same-sex marriage, the separation of church and state, religious freedom, and the age-old question, should Christians be involved in politics? To access this series, visit frc.org worldview. That's frc.org worldview. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Of course, among the themes last night, uh, the uh, the Democrats just can't get away from this. But the president, once again, calling America a racist nation. Play clip number 11. And with the plans outlined tonight, we have a real chance to root out systemic racism that plagues America and American lives in other ways. 
you know, I, I, I just have a hard time. Of course, uh, Senator Tim Scott gave uh, kind of the rebuttal and he addressed this issue. Uh, we had uh, Ben Carson on the program the other day and, and actually last night in Prevote Stand, he was addressing this issue. I mean, how, how is it we can have systemic racism in this country? We had a, a black president. We now have a, a black vice president. Uh, we have uh, members of Congress, um, minorities. It, it, look, I mean, I, just, I don't get how can you have both? I, I do not understand how you can have systemic racism and have an opportunity for people of all backgrounds, all ethnic groups, to be able to succeed in this nation. And it's happening. But there was more to the president's uh, speech last night as it pertains to domestic issues. And joining me now to talk more about this, U.S. Senator Roy Blunt of Missouri. He is the ranking member of the subcommittee on the Departments of Labor, Health and Human Services, Education and related agency. Senator, welcome back to the program. Uh, great to be with you, Tony. And, um, you know, I, I thought uh, Tim Scott did a great job last night talking about the two views of responsibility, the two views of government, uh, and made the point that America is not a racist country. Uh, and he would know. You know, a, a, a black man of his of his age would know if the country is changing or not. I talked to Tim about this today. Uh, he said, anybody who's lived through the last 20 years in America, how could you how could you say we were a racist country when we've seen so many things change in so many very visible ways? Uh, I, I think there's an interest here on one side of trying to continue to divide the country politically and in every other way, the whole idea of identity politics uh, leads you to talk about reasons why you should form into a group rather than philosophies and ideas of why you should form uh, is as part of one coalition or another. Uh, I think when the ideas are strong enough, you don't have to try to divide people by identity. And I thought Tim did a great job. I thought he did a great job expressing his own personal faith. I think the way he ended uh, that speech would not have been unusual in a Ronald Reagan America, but has, would have been pretty unusual for many people in the last uh, decade or so to think that sharing your own personal faith story and how much your faith means to you uh, in a response to the, the president's speech would just be a natural uh, thing to do. And I thought Tim Scott did it incredibly well. And I, I agree with you. And we need more leaders like that that are open about their faith and their journey. But, but also, he's a success story. Uh, in his background, he's told his story. And, and, and I think that doesn't work. As you pointed out, it doesn't work for the left because it does not allow us to divide. It actually, the message of Tim Scott and Dr. Carson and so many others uh, is a message of unify, that unifies, that brings us together because it celebrates about what is good about America. America's not perfect, it, we're, but we're becoming a better nation with each generation. If I think there's the right no question. Path. Yeah. And, you know, it, it works against the whole idea of uh, you didn't do that. Uh, and you hear that from our, our friends on the other side all the time. You didn't do that. It was the government that made all of that possible. And I think Tim, the Tim Scott story is a good story of someone who, with, with a mom who cared, uh, with a faith that mattered, and with just determination and perseverance, 
uh, you went, as he said last night, and I've heard him from the cotton field to Congress uh, in one generation. And, you know, there are people who want to make that seem like it's not much of a journey. There was this article in the in the Washington Post right. this week that Tim referred to where someone suggested, well, his story's not as tough as uh, as he makes it sound like. And one of the points they made was his grandfather dropped out of school, not in the third grade, but in the fourth grade to prove just how much of an exaggeration that Tim Scott had put into his own personal story. Uh, and again, it's, uh, it, 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 the whole, it runs against counterintuitive to the identity politics or the idea that the government has to be involved in every facet of your life for your life to be successful, uh, where uh, that's not what you believe. It's not what I believe. It's not what Tim Scott believes. I think it's not what a vast majority of Americans believe, and uh, I think our friends on the other side here are dramatically overreaching right. a, uh, what they think is a mandate in the closest divided Congress, uh, maybe in the history of the country. Uh, the Democrats have the, the smallest margin Democrats have had since the Civil War, uh, and the margin in the in the Senate couldn't possibly be closer and how that becomes some big mandate to change America dramatically and put the government in charge of everything is amazing to me. It is. I mean, they got control of the Senate by a heartbeat, and that's it. Uh, my concern, and we're up against a break, Senator, but my concern is that this American Families Plan crowds out what Tim Scott experienced because it takes the responsibility away from families, which is the source of America's true strength senator thanks so much for joining us hey, as always great always to great to be with you see with you see you soon tony all right senator senator roy blunt of missouri who will be retiring after this term we're gonna miss him uh he's been a great friend here in washington all right coming up next uh the president says the greatest threats white supremacy really general jerry boykin joins me next don't go away Get a trusted perspective on the news of the day every day. Listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins to get honest and in-depth commentary on what's going on in our nation's capital and around the world. Join Family Research Council President Tony Perkins live every weekday by tuning into Washington Watch on the American Family Radio Network, Bot Radio, the KTLW Radio Network, and independent Christian radio stations across the country. Or listen to the show when it works for you by visiting TonyPerkins.com. Since the Supreme Court decided Roe v. Wade in 1973, over 60 million people are now missing from our country due to legalized abortion. Public opinion, our knowledge of law, and scientific advancements demonstrate that Roe should by no means be considered settled law. Roe is an abomination in our country's history, and it's time for the horrendous practice of legalized abortion to end. To learn more about the legal, historical, and cultural reasons to overturn Roe v. Wade, go to frc.org slash Roe. The Equality Act sounds like good legislation and something that ought to have bipartisan support, but it doesn't. Why? Because the Equality Act, paradoxically, would spur inequality. It is Trojan horse legislation that would hinder equality and would massively overhaul our federal civil rights framework. The stated purpose of the bill is to prohibit discrimination on the basis of sex, gender identity, and sexual orientation. The real effect of this bill would not be to eliminate discrimination, but to erase the freedom to hold a different opinion. The Equality Act would mandate government-imposed inequality, 
by requiring acceptance of a particular ideology about sexual ethics, while leaving no room for legitimate public debate. Simply put, the Equality Act mandates an anti-life, anti-family, and anti-faith agenda throughout federal law and would be a disaster for all Americans. To learn more about the inequality of the Equality Act, visit frc.org slash Equality Act. Since June of 2015, over 12,000 Christians have been killed in Nigeria. This violence has reached a point at which experts are warning of a progressive genocide specifically targeting Christians across Africa's largest and most economically powerful nation. Yet this violence often goes unreported in the media, and if reported, is seriously downplayed. To learn more about what is actually taking place in Nigeria, along with other countries where Christians face persecution, visit frc.org Nigeria. Did you know that Planned Parenthood is the biggest abortion supplier in the U.S.? According to Planned Parenthood's most recent annual report, it committed 354,871 abortions in fiscal year 2019, up by over 9,000 abortions since 2018. According to these numbers, Planned Parenthood aborted 972 babies every single day. To learn more about what Planned Parenthood is really doing, visit frc.org slash Planned Parenthood facts. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. We've been looking at the speech delivered last night by uh, President Biden to a uh, anemic joint session of Congress. Again, I, I can't get over this. I, I saw, I started listening to it first and then I watched it. I was shocked, absolutely shocked that they would do a, a, a presidential address to the nation, a joint session of Congress and have 200 people in a um, in the House chamber that would normally have over 1,700. It, it just, to me, it communicated weakness because they're afraid of a, of a virus. And as pointed out from Congressman Burgess, every member of Congress, they were the first in line to get vaccinated. And I was talking to another member yesterday. You know, we're, in, and I'm the same thing, we're on a plane flying to D.C. back and forth each week, and you're in there elbow to elbow, and you can do that for three hours across the country, but you can't sit next to another member of Congress who has been vaccinated. I think this is more about the Democrats, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, controlling Congress and the American people. It's the same thing with the mask. It, it's all about control. And I'm telling you, it's, it's, I think it's about time to say enough is enough. In fact, I haven't done this yet, but I'm thinking about it. If they're still pushing these masks come July 4th when we're supposed to be free to do backyard barbecues, I think we all ought to barbecue and burn our mask. Uh, enough of this foolishness. All right. I, I, but here's something. There were some very alarming moments in his speech last night. I mean, alarming, very alarming. As he was talking about pulling out of Afghanistan and not being involved in these forever wars, he made this comment, clip nine, please. And we won't ignore what our intelligence agencies have determined to be the most lethal terrorist threat to the homeland today. White supremacy is terrorism. Okay, did you get that? 
we're over there fighting the Taliban, and we were just talking about this with Senator Johnson, um, or actually with, uh, I think it was Roy Blunt was talking about this, that uh, these folks, they want to kill us, okay? They, they've got all the time in the world. We have terrorism is, is spreading around the globe, and the greatest threat to the homeland, white supremacy. Joining me now to, uh, to talk about this is FRC's executive vice president, who spent 36 and a half years in the United States Army, ser- serving his last four years as the deputy undersecretary of defense for intelligence. He was also one of the founding members of the Delta's, uh, Delta Force in the Army. Uh, General, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Tony. I'm so glad to be back with you. Uh, America's uh, greatest threat is from white supremacy, really? Yeah, Tony, first of all, I don't believe that the intelligence community has told the president that. That's the first thing. Uh, secondly, if they have, then they're just flat wrong uh, or they've redefined terrorism. Uh, what I would say is uh, what you and I talked about earlier today is that uh, we're, we're living through a big con. You know, when you come into Washington now and most of your listeners and viewers are probably not in Washington on a routine basis, but it's uh it's a different Washington now. And uh, you go to the Capitol and you get all this wire around the Capitol and around the White House. And and uh, you have uh, National Guard still out on the streets out here. What's that all about? Is it does the threat warrant that? And the answer is no. And you heard it from the president last night. They're trying to convince Americans that we people like you and me, white people in general, but also primarily white conservatives, white Christians, white activists uh, are the real threat. And that we're the ones that breached the Capitol there because we were Donald Trump supporters. This is a big con that we're living through. And that statement, I heard nobody say anything on any of the commentary last night about that statement. But that should have been one of the first things that they talked about on the news media after that speech last night was the president has just identified white supremacy and they can't define supremacy right. uh, as, as being the leading terrorist well, entity. And the media, the leftist media has conflated Christian nationalism with white supremacy. And now the, according to the president, the intelligence community says they're the greatest threat to the nation. That's right. And it's time for us to push back. It's time for us to start pushing back on this. And God bless Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, who stood up and said, there is no place in this state, in our public schools, for this critical race theory, because by definition, it is racist. It is dividing our nation and it is racism. Yeah. And as I was just talking about uh, that with uh, Roy Blunt, talking about the president saying we've got to uh, address this systemic racist racism in our country and and behind him is a black vice president that's um, right who and he served under a black president I, I don't see how you can have systemic racism when those opportunities are presented to people of every background in our country and of course we talked about tim yeah. scott and the great job he did last night responding i want to play another clip here because this is how the president's opened his address, and he rolled some things in here. And this is what he did throughout the speech. He rolled some things in here that I think went undetected but are quite significant because they're not true. Uh, Play clip number 10 again, please. 
100 days since I took the oath of office and lifted my hand off our family Bible and inherited a nation we all did that was in crisis. The worst pandemic in a century. The worst economic crisis since the Great Depression. The worst attack on our democracy since the Civil War. Now, after just 100 days, I can report to the nation, America is on the move again. Well, America is certainly on the move, but it's moving in the wrong direction. But that's not what I wanted to focus on from that statement. What I wanted to focus on, uh, what I am going to focus on, General, is this. He said this was the worst attack on our democracy since the Civil War, referring to January the 6th. Yeah, listen, I don't know who writes his speeches for him, but they don't know a thing about history. Well, and, and they're counting on the fact that most Americans know, don't, don't and, know their and history. And they're right. Most Americans don't know history. And uh, But the reality is that uh, uh, he has forgotten 9-11. He has forgotten Pearl Harbor, uh, both of which killed lots of Americans. And furthermore, he has uh, obviously is not aware that in 19... Uh, 56, there was actually, uh, four Puerto Ricans that came in. They were Puerto Rican nationalists. They came in the chamber and got up and shot four members of Congress inside, right inside there. And then in, uh, 19, let's see, 83, they had a bombing at, uh, the offices there of, of one of the senators. And, uh, it was designed according to the, what they found out later to kill Republican senators. So what about those? Do, you know, do they count? I mean, there really was no violence uh, perpetrated uh, that comes anywhere close to that. There were there were some people killed, and I acknowledge that, and it's a terrible tragedy. And you know how I feel about the breach of the right. Capitol. Right. It is, we, we, we agree. It is no excuse. Right. Inexcusable. I don't care if there were rabble-rousers there and people followed them in, there's no excuse for breaching our capital and doing what they did. But there's no legitimate reason that the left should use January 6th the way they're using it and portraying it, because it is right. not true. It is absolutely not true. And again, history would bear out that we have had much greater attacks on this country and on that capital than what happened there on the on the 6th of January, in my view. But in the, the president's address, nothing about uh, the year-long crusade to burn cities across America right. by the left. And, you know, he, he mentioned law enforcement, but only in passing as he talked about passing laws that would essentially handcuff law enforcement in this country. And he said, well, we love our law enforcement too. Yeah. Um, I just want to remind people of one thing before all of this COVID stuff started and everything, it was black lives matters that had a, a chant. What do we want? Dead cops. When do we want them now? Pigs in a blanket, fry them like bacon. Are they domestic terrorists? Have you ever heard them declared domestic terrorists? Uh, and how about Antifa? How about Antifa that goes out there armed with baseball bats and clubs and kind of that kind of thing? Are they domestic terrorists? No. General, this we, is about white supremacy. It goes back to what he uh, we talked about earlier. But we know that this is not just rhetoric because mm -hmm. the the president, while it's certainly baseless. They are using it to launch these initiatives in our nation's military.
right. to identify what they call extremist. Mm-hmm. What is this going to do to our nation's military? I mean, for, first off, um, let me start before we go to our nation's military. Let's take his statement last night about the greatest threat to the homeland are white supremacists. What are our real enemies? How did they respond to that? Oh, yeah. Do you think that uh, the Chinese don't just love to hear that? You think the Russians don't love to hear that? You think that Kim Jong-un doesn't love to hear that kind of thing? That we have taken our eye off the ball, uh, you know, as a, as a nation because of this president. He has he is not serious about the defense of this nation. Either that or he is totally unaware of how serious the threats from these other adversaries real, really are real, adversaries. real adversaries. And in fact, in a conversation I had with Mike Pompeo uh, in our Prevost Stand uh, event last night, saying that he's very concerned for our nation and the vulnerability that we have, the risk that we're at by this type of messaging from this administration, because it communicates weakness mm-hmm. and it makes us vulnerable as a nation. Yeah, absolutely. And. You talked about the military, and listen, you and I both know, because we've both served in the military, that weapons are important, but there is nothing more important in the military than cohesion within a unit. That's what causes people to be willing to die for their their teammate, their, their battle buddy. And when you destroy that cohesion with things like what they're doing to our military today with this critical race theory, starting out with you're telling every white person there, you are an oppressor and you're telling every black person you're a victim. How is that going to build cohesion within those units? And look, Tony, you know that I've seen men give their lives for their, for their battle buddies. I've seen them. I've written them up for the medals of honor for doing just that. But you've got to have that, con- that cohesion in that unit because that's an equalizer. That's as important as the technology and weapons that you give them. Have you, I mean, you, you live, you've been, you've served 36 and a half years in our nation's military. You've seen good leadership. You've seen bad leadership. Where would you put this administration? Yeah, it's at the bottom. It's at the bottom. Look, the, the, we're destroying the morale of, uh, of our military right now. And I'm surprised that the senior leaders in our military have not at least going in and maybe they have and we just don't know it and maybe they got rejected, but going in and sat down with this president and said, look, you're the commander in chief and we're going to do what you order us to do. However, we need to maintain the strength of our military and we need to be focused on using the time that we have to prepare for war. And these social experiments are not conducive to us being ready to fight China or Russia or Iran. And, and we need to, uh, we need to go back, take a step back and, and, and look at how much time we're spending on things that are doing nothing but dividing us, tearing us apart and, uh, and get back to readiness. Everything is about readiness. Be ready to win the nation's wars. Douglas MacArthur told the people at West Point in 1963 when he stood in the mess hall there and he looked at him, he said, your mission remains determined, fixed, inviolable. It is to win the nation's wars. That's not changed. It's still to win the nation's wars. That's the mission, but it's certainly not the vision under this administration. It is not. The, Listen, let me just say one thing. When he, when the president came out here a couple of weeks ago and talked about the military, you, what did he talk about? 
He talked about he has designed, he had them design new flight suits for pregnant pilots to be able to fly. He has designed a new helmet for them to be able to wear the helmet and, and still have their hair. Tony, you don't know how scary that really is. I mean, you don't know how that hit me when the president gets up and the first real, real thing he said about our military is all about uh, flight suits for pregnant women and helmets that they could wear their hair down. And that's his priorities. How about his priorities being putting the best technology in their hands, giving them the best opportunities to train and prepare for war and be ready when the next war comes? General, we're up against the end of the program, but very quickly, one final question. How resilient is our military to face administrations like this and continue with that mission? Yeah, our military our military will bounce back if we get leadership in there. But I, the, the current set of leaders have not done anything that I can see to stop this president and his social experiments. And I, I think that our military can come back. They did come back under Donald Trump. But we got to have some leaders. All right. General Jerry Boykin, thanks so much for uh, joining us in studio. Glad to be with you. And, folks, thank you for joining us as well. I do encourage you, once again, go to the website, TonyPerkins.com. We've got resources there for you, including tracking the Biden's administration's first 100 days. Um, And also, download the Stand Firm app. That way you'll stay abreast of what's happening and how you can be involved. Until next time, I leave you once again with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything that you can do and you've prayed when you've prepared and when you've taken your stand you know what he says just keep standing washington watch with tony perkins is brought to you by family research council and is entirely listener supported Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 